0: So we're gathered here today to set our attention on the cross of Christ and to fix our minds and our hearts in gratitude on the Christ that we see there. The Christ who was crucified in this passage that was just read. Each year on Good Friday, we meditate on the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross and this year we find ourselves in Matthew 27 meditating on the fourth cry from the cross, what is often called the cry of dereliction in which Jesus acknowledges that he has been forsaken by the Father. So we come to Matthew 27, 46, and it says about the ninth hour that Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Ali, Eli, lemma, sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus uh, Jesus is very familiar with this, this cry, these words. This is not the first time these words have gone through his mind. He's quoting from Psalm 22, which is the first of three messianic psalms. Psalm 22, 23, and 24 all speak of Christ. In those psalms, David is writing of himself from his own heart. And yet through that lens, the lens of his own experience, we ultimately see Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself. Some people think that Jesus might have quoted the entirety of Psalm 22 while hanging on the cross. The psalm begins in verse 1 with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then ends the final verse of Psalm 22 uh, with the words, It is finished, which John records as the last words of Christ on the cross before he exhaled his last breath. Jesus certainly would have memorized Psalm 22, especially since he knew that it spoke of him. As his eyes traced over the poetic words of David in Psalm 22, he would have known, that's me in that psalm. These are the words that he would have read in the rest of that psalm. It goes on to say, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All those who see me mock me. All my bones are out of joint. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me they divide my garments among them and my and for my clothing they cast lots can you imagine reading words like that and knowing that it was speaking of your future knowing that it was speaking of your destiny jesus in his divinity would have known that this psalm was spoken of him and in his humanity he would have felt the weight of those words being his own future being fully god and yet fully man He felt fully the emotions and pains of human suffering. The book of Hebrews reminds us that his obedience was perfected through his suffering. His cry from the cross then here is not merely the appearance of suffering, as if the Son of God felt suffering less intensely because of his divinity. No, his his cry reflects the fullness of humanity. Raw suffering, emotion, and pain in the most intense degrees. And what are those emotions that we find reflected in Jesus' cry here? As we consider this cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There are three emotions that are evident for us to ponder. The first emotion that we see Christ displaying here is actually confidence. So notice how his plea begins, my God, my God. For years now, three years of his earthly ministry, Jesus has been slighted and misunderstood, mocked and rejected, hated and betrayed, and now the cruel culmination was this, torture. His body suspended from a beam hanging there by nails driven through his flesh, and yet he cries with confidence, my God, my God. He addresses his deepest pain to his dearest friend. He claims the father as his own father, And of course, this was nothing new for Jesus. In fact, the Gospels are full of Jesus expressing confidence in his fellowship with the Father. John 1 tells us that Jesus, the Word, existed from the beginning with the Father. From eternity past, the Father and the Son shared complete unity and fellowship. And then in John chapter 17, perhaps the clearest expression of this relationship between Jesus and the Father, Jesus speaks to the Father in this way. You, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The love of the Father belongs to every Christian, but that love was first of all given to Christ. Within the three persons of the Godhead, there is an overflowing of love from the Father to the Son and from the Son back to the Father, and the Spirit also shares in that love. There's an intimate oneness between Jesus and the Father, like the relationship that a man has with his own soul, in which it's impossible for that internal relationship to be separated except through death. That was the type of relationship that Jesus had with the Father. They are one. There's an absolute unity of mind and purpose and attributes. So in this apparently simple confession, my God, my God, Jesus uncovers for us an infinite, intimate relationship. His attitude towards the Father in this awful cry is the most vivid and accurate demonstration of how all sons and daughters of God should approach him in the midst of suffering. Our initial consideration as we experience trials and suffering in this life should not be, why God, but rather, my God. The order of our attitude should begin with God and confidence in his character. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? and only then be followed up by an expression of honest discouragement. Even in torture and in death, Jesus models for us an unwavering confidence in his Father. The second emotion that is evident as we consider this cry is abandonment. Jesus acknowledges his awareness of the Father's abandonment. So despite expressing such confidence in the Father and claiming him as his own, he also feels an intense awareness that he has been forsaken. He says, why have you forsaken me? Indicating that the abandonment had already happened and that it had happened indeed. In other words, this cry does not merely indicate that Jesus felt as though he had been abandoned, but that the father had indeed forsaken the son. And although Jesus asks why, maybe we could first ask how. If God is an absolute unity within himself, then how is it that on the cross, the divine unity was torn in pieces? If Jesus was really one with the Father, as a man is one with his own soul, then how could this separation occur? Well, the exact nature of this abandonment, this separation within the Trinity, is a mysterious uh, thing to us, and yet the very fact of it should jar our senses, and awaken us to the magnitude of emotion that Christ is feeling here, as well as the weight of the sin of mankind that was upon him. One theologian said, Not until we understand his abandonment by God, the Father, whose eminence and closeness he had proclaimed in a unique, gracious, and even festive way, only then can we understand what was distinctive about his death. Just as there was a unique fellowship with God in his life and preaching, So in his death, there was a unique abandonment by God. But the question that Jesus asks here is, why have you forsaken me? Why have you, my father of unbroken fellowship, who set your love on me from before the foundation of the world, why now have you forsaken me? Why would the father turn his back on Christ and sever that communion that until now had been perfect and unbroken? I mean, it's not as if the son had turned his back on the father. No, this is the son's ultimate act of obedience. Human fathers are prone to embrace their sons for acts of obedience and punish them only for disobedience. And yet here, in Christ's greatest act of obedience and his clearest demonstration of faith, the father forsakes him. No mere punishment, but an absolute rejection the father disowns his divine son. And if not for the son's disobedience, then for what cause? It was because of our disobedience. That is why Christ was forsaken, because you earned abandonment for your sin. Habakkuk one thirteen says, Your eyes are too pure to behold evil, and you cannot look on wrongdoing. This is our God. His eyes are too pure to behold evil, and he cannot coexist with it. The intense light of God would burn up all darkness that it touched. And so the darkness of our sin demands an absolute separation from God. His purity cannot coexist with evil. It must be separated from him. And what that means for every human is that we are all bound to an eternal abandonment by God. Ephesians 2 says it this way, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. But God, because he is as rich in mercy as he is in holiness, had determined to make a way for us to return to him. And his plan was this, rather than to abandon his chosen ones, he brings separation between him and his only son, the son of his love. In other words, the punitive separation from God that we deserve because of our sin was unleashed on Christ in our stead. He became a curse for us. He was punished for us. John Owen said there was room enough in his breast to receive the points of all the swords that were sharpened by the law against us. This is the center the core and the heart of the gospel, that Christ was substituted for us to take the punishment that we deserved. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. Peter remembered these words from Isaiah and applied them to Christ He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Of all things that capture our attention, this should be primary. Do whatever you must to keep this always before your mind's eye, that you have been rescued by his abandonment, that you have been healed because he was crushed. This should shape your understanding of yourself. If you consider yourself a Christian, that doesn't merely mean that you prayed once for forgiveness of sins, but that you have been rescued. And every day you live as someone who has been rescued from eternal forsakenness from God. And the cost of that rescue was Christ's abandonment by the Father. He felt the weight of it on the cross. This brings us to the third emotion that we see implicit in Jesus' cry, and that is his compassion. Why would Jesus, one with the Father, willingly submit himself to rejection? Why would he do this? It was because of his compassion This cry of absolute anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is motivated by the purest compassion the world has ever known. He shared not only in all the suffering that we humans live through in the course of an ordinary life, but he shared also in the suffering of death. That separation from God for eternity, which is the very thing that we had earned For ourselves, he took that death. The father put him to grief. The father crushed him. The father did this to him, yes. But he gave himself up. The father didn't act out in vengeance against Christ, taking his life from him. No, Christ went willingly. As a sheep before its shears is dumb, he gave himself for us he courageously, lovingly placed himself between us and the death that we deserve. The book of Hebrews chapter two says that since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things so that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. It was that deep sense of sympathy and compassion that drove Christ to the cross for us. Do you see the picture here of why Christ shared in death? Why he partook of flesh and blood with the children? It was because of that compelling sense of sympathy He called us brothers and sisters, and as a brother, he shared in our suffering, being tempted as we are, and dying and being forsaken as we are. And what was it that pulled his spirit into the forsakenness of God, but a compassion for you? As if Jesus looked into your eyes and saw your destiny of eternal forsakenness and said, I will take that. I will take his forsakenness. Father, do not forsake him. Place that on me. And so when Jesus asked, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew the answer. It was because of sin. It was because of your sin and my sin. It was because of you and me. And he was drawn by inescapable cords of love To bear the forsakenness that should have been ours. Lord, this kind of love is uncommon and unknown among us. We read these words of Christ, of his own forsakenness, and we are very aware that that should be ours that we should not only experience death and an end to this life, but that we should experience eternal separation from you because your eyes are too pure to behold evil. So, Lord, we stand as rescued ones this afternoon with great gratitude that you have demonstrated this degree of kindness to us.